We'll ask everyone to stand and we're going to start worship.
let's celebrate that this morning.
Good morning. It is always a very special time when we can come to the Lord's table together and we can be reminded of what Christ did for us many years ago on the cross when he died as that perfect sacrifice for us. As the elements are being handed out this morning, I want to uh, remind you that this time is for all believers, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And there's also double cups. Make sure that you get both cups. Today is Palm Sunday. It is a time when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem. And it says as he was coming in, the people had lined the streets and they were celebrating. And according to Mark chapter 11, that the celebration and they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. They were crying out, they were celebrating, but it would be just a few short days later that the same crowd would be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. What happened? What changed from that Sunday to that Friday? What happened with those folks? Well, I think it's very simple. They didn't really understand what Christ was about and the sacrifice that needed to be made. I think of the disciples that week who were with Jesus, and Jesus had been explaining to them what must happen and the sacrifice that must come. And even the disciples didn't get it at this point. And it was the night before he was betrayed that Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples as they were having that supper together. And Jesus, once again, was giving them a picture of what was to come. And as he took the bread that night, he explained to them that this is my body that must be broken for you. And as he took the cup, he said, this is my blood that must be shed for you. This is the new covenant. For the old covenant was about the law. The old covenant reminded us that we can never be right with God without a perfect sacrifice. And the new covenant is that perfect sacrifice Jesus Christ but they still didn't quite understand and they wouldn't understand until after the weekend was over and on the third day when Jesus rose again and they 
got it. They finally understood. But you know, sometimes in our Christian life, I wonder if we really get it or if we really remember. I think sometimes for me, I know in the busyness of life that sometimes I fail to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. And that's what this is about. Reminding us of what Christ did for us. His body that was beaten and his blood that was poured out. So over the next few minutes, Joey is going to sing. You can join in in singing with him, but just remain seated over, the ne- over this next song. But I challenge you to use this time to remember today what Christ has done for us. And Scripture tells us don't come to this time in an unworthy manner. That means let's come to him with a clean heart. So let's take this time and just spend with him and allow God to speak to us. But let's open up our heart to him today and allow him to do what he wants to do inside of us. As you hold the elements and the bread that is a reminder of his body and the juice that is a reminder of his blood, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time, this time of celebration, this time of remembrance. Father, most of all, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who made the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could be restored in our relationship with you. God, thank you for the sacrificial lamb that took our place on the cross when we did not deserve it and still to this day do not deserve it, that Christ died for us. So God, I pray that during this time right now, this would be just a sweet time of remembrance for us, a special time. God, I pray that if there's anything in our hearts today that are hindering our relationship with you, that God, during this time right now, you would point that out to us. We would be quick to release that today. God, I pray that as we go through this time, that the love of Christ would just fill our hearts and overflow us and overwhelm us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
He said, this is my body that is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. 
In like manner, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's stand together as we continue to worship this morning.
So I want to approach today's message a little differently than I usually do. Um, if you brought your Bibles, I want to ask you to open with me to Romans. Uh, Romans will be in about 3, 4, and 5. I'm going to jump around a little bit today. And also in Hebrews. So if you want to go ahead and find those two places, if it's an electronic device or a Bible, I hope you bring that because uh, that's where the power is at. Amen? I mean, Shane is just Shane. I, I don't feel like I've got anything interesting to say, but the power is in the Word of God. And so I want to rely heavily on His Word today. And I want you reading from your books. Years ago, we would put the verses on the screen. And I noticed a trend over time that people would uh, quit looking at their Bibles and they would just look at whatever I put on the screen. And I thought, man, I can't think of a more important time for us to open our Bibles and read from our own Bibles the, the words that are preached from the pulpit. Because during the week, you're going to grab that Bible and hopefully you'll be, um, you, you've made notes in it. It's okay to write in your Bibles. You, you won't go to hell for that. Okay, you just need to know that. Um, I write in my Bible so much that I have to replace it about every two years because I take a lot of notes and I write a lot of cool things in there just to, to, to remind me and to jog my memory as I come across scriptures. Um, but I hope that you value the, 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 the word of God in, in your life as you go home and you read it, uh, that some of these verses that you hear, um, you can go back to um, and if they just minister to you. Um, so as I mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. It's the kickoff of Holy Week. 
It was at this moment that Jesus resolutely turned toward Jerusalem. He knew what was in store for him. And it's called Passion Week because it's with that passion that Jesus fulfilled his mission. From this day, Palm Sunday, when he came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey's colt, which was a fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, he would come into Jerusalem and they would say, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were tearing branches off of trees and they were waving them at Jesus. That's the palm branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. During this whole week, a lot of different activities took place where he challenged the Pharisees and their teachings and they challenged him and he cleanses the temple. He teaches this Olivet Discourse about things that are going to happen in the future. He has that last supper with his disciples, and we know we call it Good Friday, but the Friday um, for him, not so good, but for us is great, is when he gave up his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And it is that focus today that I want us to just take a few moments and look at. The title of the message is Finished. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with finishing projects. I've got a few projects at my house that are unfinished, and I'm not going to tell you how long. I mean, they're probably in the years by this point. Uh, But sometimes I'll get a project finished and it feels so good to just look back and go, wow, I accomplished that. It's done. It is is finished. But most time I have a lot of unfinished business. And when we consider the cross of Christ, when we consider the gospel, especially as we focus on Jesus' work on the cross, when he yelled from the cross, tetelestai, it is finished. My friends, that is good news for you and for me. So there are seven sayings from the cross um, from Jesus, seven statements that he made. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Um, He says another time, today you will be with me in paradise, to the thief on the cross. Another time he said, woman, behold your son, son, your woman. He was just kind of entrusting the care of his mother over to John. Um, and then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in the middle of the day when it goes dark? It's at that moment we feel like that most of the, the transaction of the sins were forgiven when Jesus or when God turned his back on his son. And from the cross we hear him, and I love this because we see the humanity of Jesus when he simply said, I thirst. Um, and one of the, uh, the soldiers grabbed a branch and they dipped it in the hyss- hyssop and they gave it to Jesus um, to, to, to quench the thirst. And that was another fulfillment of prophecy there. And the statement that I want to focus on today, and I believe is the one of most significance, is the one that says simply, it is finished. Three words in our English language, one word in the Greek, tetelestai, it is finished. Now the word tetelestai is a, is a common word. Uh, meaning that something was complete, something was done. And so if you were building a house and the house was completed, they would say, tetelestai, the job's done. It's finished, it's complete. If you owed debt, that debt that was written down on paper, they would have a, a list of your, your debts. And once that debt was paid for in full, many times across the receipt, they would write that word, tetelestai, finished, complete, accomplished. If you were a prisoner in jail, I read where it said that they would take the list of your charges and they would put them on a parchment or whatever and they would post it on the side of the the jail cell. This is what they did and and, and their their sentence is five years and when that sentence was up and they had paid their their debt to society, they would write across that charge, tetelestai, finished, accomplished, it's done. Jesus on the cross his sixth of seven sayings, it is finished. By, by the way, his last one was, into your hands I commit my spirit. Well, for he gave up his, his spirit. Key word, he gave up. His life was not taken, but he laid it down. Amen? So it is finished. I wonder if we were there that day and if we were watching Jesus on the cross 
And we're hearing all those things, and then we see Jesus just before he gives up his spirit saying, it is finished. The, The natural question is, what's he mean? What is he talking about, it is finished? What's finished? Is he talking about his suffering? Well, yes, of course. His suffering was about to be finished. Is he talking about his his ministry? Well, yeah, his earthly ministry was about to be finished, and he was going to die and be raised again, resurrected, and ascend into heaven where he still makes intercession between us and between God. His ministry continues. But what did he mean when he said it is finished? What was it that was complete? What is the it in that statement? I wonder if they knew that. Well, to answer that question, I think we have to go back to Jesus' prayer, um, and he was praying to his father, and this is, you know, after the disciples in the upper room, he's encouraging them in my father's house, or many mansions, John 14, and then later it says he's praying to the father, and he said, I brought you, father, I brought you glory while I was here on this earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus had work to do. He knew that when he came to this earth, he had work to do. In fact, they said, you will call him named Jesus, or his name Jesus, as a little baby. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He knew his purpose. He knew the work that his father had for him to do, and that work was the work of redemption. How many of you this morning are grateful for God's work of redemption in our lives? The work of redemption that the Father had given to the Son was complete in that statement. It is finished. When you kind of unpack that, what is the the work of redemption? There are many different angles that we can take today and we can look at in Scripture. But I want to focus primarily on about three different things, mainly on this first one. But, But that is this truth that you and I need to know. And let me just give you the why. Shane, why are we talking about this today? My heart is... That as Christians, sometimes we can kind of get apathetic to just things going on in our life. The gospel can become old school knowledge to us, and we can just kind of take for granted. Has anyone ever taken anything for granted in their life? I feel like we can do the same thing when it comes to this good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can take it for granted. We can go through the motions. The songs can be played, and we're like, yeah, that's a good song. The word can be read, and we're like, well, that's cool. But just that we would restore the sense of awe and wonder and gratitude for what he did on behalf of all of mankind. God, that's the purpose for which I share this today because I want us uh, to just have a, a different perspective, especially throughout the rest of this week. And towards the end, I'll give you a, a challenge where hopefully next week when we return on Easter Sunday, it will truly be a time of celebration as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Amen? So what does he mean when his work of redemption is complete? Um, you need to know this, that sin was atoned for. That the work, the statement, it is finished, tetelestai, meant that sin had been dealt with, it had been atoned for, sin had been forgiven. So just imagine for a moment, go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we know that Adam and Eve were in the garden and God placed them there and he said, you can eat of any tree in this garden And eat of it freely, except one, right in the middle of the garden. Don't touch that one. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the moment you eat that tree, you're going to die. And the serpent comes on the scene. He said, did God say you couldn't eat any of the trees? He says, no, no, we can eat the trees in the garden freely, but we can't eat the one in the center. Because once we eat that one, we will die. Satan says, you won't die. God knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And so it was tempting to them. 
<clears throat> when they saw that the tree was, was, was <clears throat> excuse me, when they saw that it was good and, and that they took of that temptation, they ate of that fruit, and from that moment forward, sin <clears throat> entered the world. All right? Now, Romans, I had you turn there. Romans chapter 5, I want you to notice in verse 12, and I really want you to just pay attention to your scriptures today. Not just hear Shane's word, but just look at what God's word is. It's revealed to us. Chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, this is Genesis 3. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, we, we understand this idea of infection rates. Like We've heard that word way too many times over the past year when we talk about coronavirus. Can I just tell you that when it comes to the, the sin, it was a 100% rate of infection. Then when Adam sinned, sin was transferred to every human being on the planet Earth. Romans 6.23, if you want to turn over there, you just know this. The wages of sin is death. When we work, we expect wages for our work. And what Paul says is the wages of sin is death. And so now it's going to require death to pay that sin. And so you see this Old Testament sacrificial system that starts off and they regularly, often sacrifice an animal because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so we see the Old Testament sacrificial system because of the sin that has infected everyone. Romans 3 verses, or verse 10 towards the end of that says, no one is righteous, not even one person. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So you need to know this. There's not one person in this world who has lived life perfectly. There's no one righteous. No, not one. Across the page, Romans 3, verse 23 says, For everyone has sinned. <clears throat> we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. So that's Romans 5, Romans 3. Romans 6, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned. So Jesus... Never sinned. He came into this earth. He lived a perfect life, and he did not sin. In fact, he fulfilled all the righteous demands of the law. Jesus never sinned. And Paul says in his letter to the Corinthian church, for God made Christ who knew no sin, who never sinned, to be the offering for sin for us or to be sin for us so that we could be made right with God through Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen? That all of us have sinned, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And when Jesus says, it is finished, he knew what his role was. He knew what his mission was to seek and to save the lost. It was going to be his sacrificial offering, his body, his blood that was broken and spilled out. It was going to redeem mankind. It was going to appease that wrath. The wages of sin is death. It was going to appease that and pay that payment in full. So sin is <clears throat> forgiven. So I, I told you to turn to Hebrews as well. Hebrews chapter 9. I want to read this one. It says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So they had this sacrificial system of, uh, of killing animals regularly. And it only covered the sin for a while, but it was not a permanent sacrifice. It was not a permanent forgiveness. 
Verse 23 says, that is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified with the blood of animals. <clears throat> but the real thing, or the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter the holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself, <clears throat> excuse me, to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the Old Testament sacrifices that were offered all the time. He didn't enter it to do it again and again. Like the high priest on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the, the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once, say once, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. Jesus knew his mission. He knew his purpose for which he came to the earth was to die on the cross. And he knew that that sacrifice was going to take away the sins. It was going to forgive sin. It was going to atone for sin. That's good news, isn't it? Jesus says it is finished. Sin is atoned for with my sacrifice once and for all. No more need to do it over and over and over again. Sin is forgiven. That's good news, church. Sin is forgiven. So when we come to him in faith and we trust him for salvation, we need to know that sin, past, future, and present, is all forgiven in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're wired like I am, but there are things that I've done in my life and I go back in my mind and my past and I think about some of the things and I feel guilty about some of the things I've done in the past. And the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and he's good at reminding us of all of those things that we've done in the past. It's comforting to know that those sins, past, future, and even present, are forgiven in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful statement when Jesus said, Tetelestai. Sin is forgiven. Another one that brings me a lot of encouragement, and should you as well, is that Satan has been rendered powerless. Whoo, church. It seems like he's got a lot of authority and a lot of power today, right? But I just have this picture of him now, like a, a roaring lion, as 1 Peter 5, 8 says, but a, a lion with no teeth. He's got a lot of growl, but not much bite when it comes to his authority. He has been rendered defeated and powerless by the cross of Christ and because of Jesus' sacrifice, when he said, it is finished, he broke the chains. The chains that you and I were not able to break on our own, he broke them on our behalf. And church, because of the gospel, we are free. And if we're free, that means that at one point we were slaves. And we were. We were slaves to sin. But the good news is when he said, it is finished, he broke the chains. He rendered Satan powerless. Hebrews chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Only by his sacrifice, only by his death, could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of of dying. He has set us free. He's broken the chains. He's rendered Satan powerless. Church, that's good news. That's just, that should change the way we approach life in general, isn't it? 
To know that the, the, the enemy that, that had the keys and the authority has all been lost because of the resurrection of Christ, that Jesus has all authority and Satan has been rendered powerless. Now, he still can growl. He still has a, he talks a big talk. He can still tempt us and we can give in to the temptation. But you just need to know, church, he has no authority for those who are in Christ Jesus. Greater is he that is inside you than he that is in the world. His authority is gone, so why do we allow him to trip us up? Why do we allow him, or we give him more credit than we should and more power uh, than, he, than he should be able to have? We know that he has been rendered ineffective, powerless, and hallelujah, one day, ultimately, we'll see his ultimate defeat as he's cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. I look forward to that day, don't you? So First John chapter 3 Verse 7 says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the, the beginning. But the Son of God, Jesus, this is his statement, it is finished. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Aren't you glad in the gospel that the works of the devil have been destroyed in Jesus those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them or his seed is in them. So they, they, can, they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love others or other believers does not belong to God. Christ, the Son of God, came to destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished, it means sin is atoned for, sin is forgiven. It means that Satan has been rendered powerless. He's been defeated. Let me just remind you of this. I've heard it before, um, and I would encourage you today, whenever you, you hear those voices, and those, that, that accuser of the brethren, as is, is, is Satan is really quick to point out our flaws, and someone has said is when he reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future, because his future is not looking too great. Amen? So Satan has been rendered powerless our salvation that work of redemption is complete in that statement it is finished and you need to know that when Jesus said it is finished it wasn't a uh, a cry of defeat um, in fact Matthew and Mark said it was with a loud cry he shouted it doesn't say what he shouted but we know from John that his statement was tetelestai it was a, a shout of victory it was a shout of completion I did it I completed the work that you sent me to do and that work of redemption that the Father had given to the Son was complete in Jesus' sacrifice. Um, if you want to turn over to Galatians, or Ephesians, excuse me. Let me find it myself. You remember the old days of the Bible, you know, drills where you had to go find scriptures real quick? We need to bring that back, amen? So I challenged myself, somebody says, no. I challenged myself with, I'll buy a Bible without the uh, thumb index in it. And you talk about freaking out whenever you're trying to find something, you're like, oh, and you're in a hurry, where's it at? It'll make you kind of find those, those chapters and, and know where they're at. So Ephesians 2, <clears throat> verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Key word, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so no one can boast about it. We are saved by God's grace when we believed. So all that was necessary 
for our salvation. All that was necessary for this work of redemption was done on the cross by Jesus. And we have our part in that. It is not this co-joint work effort between Christ and us, like works and what he did, but our only response to what he's done for us, the complete work of redemption that he did on the cross, is to simply believe. I love that word. Peace, peace, believe. And what it means is to put your faith in or to put your trust in, to rely on. It doesn't just mean, oh yeah, I get it, I understand. But it means to trust him in the gospel and what he accomplished. John 3, 16 is so familiar to us, but again, it's worthy of looking at. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So you see how important it is for us to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 10, another important verse. Romans 10 verse 9. Let me just back up. For Moses writes the law, the law's way of making a person right with God or, um, requires obedience to all that it commands. And we already know that no one can completely fulfill all of the righteous demands of the law. He says, but faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says this message or the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it is in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. What is that message? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's beautiful, isn't it? For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him for everyone. Say everyone. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nothing needs to be or can be added to it. Salvation is not a joint effort of God and man, but it's entirely the work of God's grace. But it has to be appropriated by faith. The word appropriated simply means to take it for yourself. All of the work to make you right with God has been completed on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. He left nothing undone, church. It is all complete in him. And the good news is who so ever would believe in him believe in the gospel believe that God sent his son to down the cross for the sins of the world to believe it in the heart and to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord to say Lord I take that for myself what you did on the cross I, I believe that was your way of making us right with you and I, and I just want to believe by faith and appropriate that to me uh, would you put that on my, my account as well and the Bible says whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news, church. And so <clears throat> I, I stated the reason I shared this this morning was because I really wanted to just kind of challenge our hearts, wake us up from a slumber, 
so to speak, where we go through the motions and uh, this being Holy Week. You know, some churches, more of the liturgical churches, have something they do every day. And I thought, you know, it would be good for us to be reminded of all that Christ did in this Holy Week to prepare our hearts for um, what not only has he done, but the celebration to come as we celebrate his resurrection. And so let me just tell you that the Passion Week is, is found in all of the Gospels. Matthew, Matthew chapters 21 through 27, Mark 11 through 15, those chapters, Luke chapters 19 through 23, and then John chapters 12 through 19, the Holy Week can be found there. And, and so here's my challenge. I want to encourage you to, do, to use Matthew's account. And the reason is not because Matthew's is better. I mean, I think if you have time, read them all. They're great. Uh, but if you read Matthew's, there, there's enough there that if you start with today, chapter 21, then by Saturday, you will be at chapter 27 um, towards the end as death, burial, and then we will come back Sunday morning to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and Jesus. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but it gives us an opportunity to prepare our hearts. How many of you are thankful? You're thankful for the cross of Christ. Let's not take that for granted. Let's, let, it, let, it, let that be reflective in our hearts, in our worship when we gather together. I mean, it goes from just singing a song because it's something that we know to singing it with a heart full of gratitude for what he has done for us and a heart with celebration in it because the tomb is empty. It's still empty. And that's good news for us as a church, right? The lyrics of that song that we sang a moment ago, how great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You've broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Have you placed your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you somehow working in your own mind thinking, well, I've just got things that I need to work on and in order for God to receive me one day or to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Can I just tell you that there's nothing that you can add to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what makes it the good news. Because if we could, then one day somebody's going to be standing around in heaven and they're going to be kind of a little cocky, leaning up against one of those golden fence posts or something. They're going to say, how'd you get here? Well, let me tell you how I got here. And they're going to start rattling off a list of things that they did to earn it. And the Bible says that nobody can earn it. It is the, is the, the, the gift of God's grace, not by works. Amen? It's a level playing field. Whosoever will believe, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you placed your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? If not, I just want to challenge you, today is the day of your salvation. We don't know if we're going to have a day after today. We don't even know that we'll be here on Easter Sunday. That's the, the hope that we have that one day Christ is going to return. I'd be okay with that, amen? But if it should tarry, the Bible says our life is a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. Here one moment, gone the next. No one knows their day or their hour. 
And so I would say today is the day of salvation. Place your faith in Christ Jesus. Christian, I would challenge you, as you leave this place today, just to be mindful of just the, the depth of what that statement, it is finished, means for you. The fact that he took your sins, he took my sins on the cross. That sin that demanded death, that demanded blood be spilt, was all met in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus said, it is finished, that was for you too. It is finished. What does it mean? It means that the work of redemption has been complete. What does it mean to you and me today? It's still God's method of making people right with him is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's still good news, church. Amen. Are you grateful for the gospel? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. We may not ever be able to wrap our minds completely and totally around why or how. But Lord, I am so thankful for the good news. I'm thankful that Jesus left heaven to come down to this earth and to become human like one of us so that as a human he could die on our behalf. And we know that that was his mission. It says before the foundations of the world. He was, he was slain before the foundations of the world. That was the, the purpose all along was your plan of redemption to work out through Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Father, I just simply ask that you would stir up our hearts a little bit with just a sense of awe and wonder at what Jesus went through on our behalf. Your word says you, gave, you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son. I couldn't do it. Lord, if the world was infected and I knew that my son was the only antidote or help to that solution, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Lord, your love was so great that you did it for the whole world that whosoever would believe could be made right with you because of the gospel. God, thank you for that. I pray that it would just build a sense of awe and wonder and, and gratitude in our hearts as we uh, approach uh, this Holy Week and as we prepare for that celebration that I think is like the Super Bowl of churches is gathering together to celebrate the fact that Jesus came out of that tomb. God, to you, all the praise and all the glory, they belong to you. So would you be honored in our lives? Would you, uh, Father, just help us to be mindful today of how great and glorious the gospel is. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.